Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
gentlemen welcome to the end time tribune a very special broadcast as we delve deeply into the battle of jerusalem world war one ladies and gentlemen cleo dynamics has already been publicly proven what is that what is cleo dynamics ladies and gentlemen it's isochronal eschatology. That's what it is. Let me read this couple of sentences from a brief history of the Crusades by Henley. On December the 19th, or December the 9th, 1917, Allenby's force captured Jerusalem from the Turks. Some years later, Major Vivian Gilbert, one of his officers, published a book recounting his own experiences with the army in Palestine entitled The Romance of the Last Crusade with Allenby to Jerusalem. In it, compared him with Godfrey of Boulogne. Allenby himself is said to have invoked the memory of Richard the Lionheart on the day of his entry into the city with the words, Now the Crusades. Have ended. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a lot to discuss. But before we get Brian on here and jump into this, Brian sent me an audio clip we're going to listen to, and I combined it with one that I found myself today after looking for at least two, if not three hours. So I combined these two audio clips, let us say, for effect. The Turkish armies are in retreat, and General Allenby is in hot pursuit. He wants to destroy as much of the enemy as he can while he has the upper hand. He knows there is plenty of fight left in the Turks. They may be retreating, but they are not giving up. Instead of continuing his drive to the north, Allenby turns to the east, toward the holy city of Jerusalem. The symbolic history of that ancient city sacred to Christians, Muslims, and Jews, is more important at the moment than another great victory against the Turks. Lloyd George has already told Allenby to take Jerusalem before Christmas. The religious significance is not lost on Christians among the British troops. Ford's tin lizzies plowed through the sandhills and raced along the coast tracks where Pharaoh's war chariots had traveled. A derelict tank lay in no man's land, within rifle shot of where Samson's primitive weapon of the jawbone of an ass had proved more deadly. Well, you know, it, it was a crusade. Uh, Allenby is really sensitive about this because he wanted to be called a crusade, but a lot of his soldiers were Muslim. I mean, his labor force, uh, for example, he also had Indian troops. But you couldn't help but be aware 
if you were a British soldier, that you were going into Bethlehem or that you were getting closer to Jerusalem. And so even though Allenby talked about it as a crusade, you know, some of the rank and file uh, did think that way. And I think it, it was some motivation uh, for some of these, these British soldiers. On a night of rain and bitter cold, British forces attacked the holy city of Jerusalem on December 7, 1917. The enemy offers strong resistance at first, but they are only 15,000 men against overwhelming enemy numbers. They begin to withdraw from the city. Four centuries of Ottoman rule have come to an end. On December 11th, General Allenby enters Jerusalem on foot out of respect for the city. He is the 34th conqueror of Jerusalem in its long, volatile past. After a campaign that has lasted 40 days and 40 nights, with the loss of 18,000 men, the British soldiers have delivered a Christmas present to their nation. In the city, Allenby delivers a proclamation to the crowd and dignitaries gathered. This is a miracle. Was there a miracle at Michmash? How could Jonathan, an inexperienced swordsman, manage to kill 30 trained Philistine soldiers by himself? Why would the entire Philistine army mistake Jonathan's attack on the outpost for an army so big they decided their only hope was to run away? Is it a coincidence that Vivian Gilbert read that particular Bible story on the night before his troops were scheduled to make a frontal assault on the Turks, a battle plan that probably would have cost the lives of many of his men? Why did the Turks think Gilbert's small band of men was actually the entire Allenby army of nearly 100,000 troops? Even so, how did Gilbert manage to kill or capture the entire garrison with only a company of soldiers? Good tactics or sheer luck just don't explain it. Maybe a miracle is the only logical explanation. The entire British campaign in Palestine in World War I is filled with such unexplainable stories. Consider this incredible discovery. In Vivian Gilbert's journal, he observed that Britain's liberation of Jerusalem had fulfilled an ancient prophecy. 2,000 years ago, the prophet Daniel received a vision that Jerusalem would be delivered from its enemies in 1,335 years. The prophet Haggai later added that the day of blessing would come on the 24th day of the ninth month of the Hebrew calendar. The date foretold by these two prophets was December the 9th, 1917. The very day the mayor of Jerusalem handed over the keys of the city to the British army. Historian Yehuda Noblach put it this way. God makes history, makes the future too. If God makes history, how can I understand why so many terrible things have befallen Jews over the centuries? How can I explain the destruction of Israel by the Romans, the pogroms of the Russian czars, the Nazi Holocaust? Where was God in history at those times? How can I believe in a God that would allow such horrible things to happen to his chosen people? Chosen for what? For me, today raised more questions than answers. 
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. We have got massive amounts of information to talk about tonight, so we need to let Bry get straight to it. But I hope that got your attention and nobody was paying attention. It's amazing to me everything that's coming down the barrel as far as anniversaries go in 2017. Brian just watched that documentary a couple of weeks ago when he sent me the first message about it. I think it was maybe a week and a half ago. And that has led us down a road that I can only describe that Brian and I have been down for many years now. I mean, we're talking six years. But then all of a sudden, on this very same, it's almost like somebody turned the headlights on and illuminated the barrel of time. In it, we could plainly see the rifling. That rifling led us to a conversation this morning that I don't think we're going to cover, nor do I think we should. Ladies and gentlemen, you should know that, and I'm hesitant to say this even now, but I am pushed. Ladies and gentlemen, the 1,335 days does have a mathematical ratio to it that equals the divine ratio, that rifling that you see down the barrel when you look down the past can plainly be seen. That divine ratio is in the Bible, God's holy word, multiple times. It's when Brian sent me the PDF for this show that I realized we were probably going to go somewhere I never wanted to go. There's no reason for me to mince words. I have said it many times on air. You've heard me state many times how you get the equation for Daniel's 2,300 days. It's really quite simple. It is nothing more than the 1010, which equates to two years and under. You'll take note that two years of 365 days plus one birthing cycle, those that remain in the womb, in clear direct reference to Isaiah chapter 26, that equals 1,010 days. You add that to the first sequence of time, which is the tribulation mentioned in Isaiah – or in Matthew 24. That's 2,300 days. I've stated this many times that time is going to go topsy-turvy because there's an extra 45 days added. Brian asked me about that, and I knew it was time for us to go someplace I really didn't want to go because really… What God was trying to hide from you was 2345. 2345.
four, five. Even though I had stated it in several different ways on airs many times. Now, take note. It wasn't too awfully long ago on SoundCloud that Brian and I did broadcast illicitly dedicated to this topic, and I did say it. It's just that you, the listener, didn't understand me. You couldn't hear me. You couldn't hear what I was saying. So we're going to certainly cover that here tonight. So, Brian, uh, why don't you jump right in the saddle and uh, describe all of the twists and turns in the dark. I mean, this road is, is well, that's kind of hard to describe. But you need to at least give the listener uh, the circumstances surrounding to you stumbling down this road, and then by the time I joined you, the Lord had turned the bright lights on. He had turned the spotlights on. All the searchlights were going to and fro. So, Brian, uh, jump in here and let everybody uh, know how you started down this path. We've got a lot to cover. Let's get to it. Well, this has been... I'd say quite a course over multiple weeks here. Now, we had begun uh, talking about in the background a project concerning um, the great sign in the heavens that's appearing here on September 23rd. We have this uh, eclipse that's going to be an X eclipse, which I believe the next portion of that happens in 2020. And um, that's when I sat down and took a closer look at this and already. You know, previous to this, folks, we had brought up on air that I knew the flashpoint. We needed to look at the Balkans, keep a close eye on that due to the fact that Macedonia is right in the middle of that. Uh, taking it a step further, you know, from that point in time after just precursory that night spending time looking over these correlations um, to this 100-year timeline that were definitely, it is really staring us right you know, between the eyes as we speak, if everybody recalls, not even in the last two weeks here, this is when uh, our commander-in-chief had decided to show up from uh, coming from Kittim or Cyprus and a launch, I believe it was 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles on the very day that was the 100-year marker for us entering into World War I. And these parallels just, they don't stop everybody. You know, before we go into this, I need to refresh to everybody's mind because we didn't really cover this too deeply. Uh, Turkey, with this constitutional reform, this vote that just went through, and you can get a better idea of this just from looking at the comments that were made from folks on, you know, the different social networks after this was passed. They know full well what's happened here. Now, about half that nation, like everywhere else, it seems to be, is very upset. They have stated emphatically, um, democracy has ended. The Ottoman Empire has just risen again. They know this beyond any shadow of a doubt. So we've got parallels here that are happening right in front of our very eyes that seem to keep locking back in to this very same pattern that is encoded 
within this 1917 cog. And I use that word cog, folks, because the little gears, if you take apart, for instance, a um, old-fashioned pocket watch, and you can look inside and you get those little tiny gears that each one of them moves in its precise place and then moves another one and moves another one, and this keeps going. Okay, folks, you have to understand something here. The Lord has done something with these timelines that is, A, so absolutely incredible, it is unbelievable, but B, like Matthew stated, he brought up that divine ratio. Folks, we have got things wrapped on top of each other, and we have something encoded here that you're dealing with days and you're dealing with years. And the same pattern keeps moving throughout the entirety of this, and we can see an absolute and complete mirror right in front of our eyes as we speak. When I was working on moving into the uh, phase with studying the ancient history of the Balkans going all the way forward until we, where we are at now, there's one standout thing that severely bothered me because when I see this immediately, I say, I don't accept that. This is ridiculous. I need to look. That thing being is that in about 587 or so, because everybody you're going to notice it's locked into this timeline. As a matter of fact, I can see it right here. It's 582. They, they state, we don't know who the Slavs are. And I'm sorry, when I see that, that just, it irritates me. So, of course, I'm going to dig to get to the bottom of this. Now, as we were moving along here in the last few weeks, as I was looking this over, I went to check something because I, we stumbled onto something else that was altogether making us scratch our heads concerning China and the uh, Yellow Emperor. Well, folks, there's something strange going on there, too, because when you take that to the Indo-European language, you're being told about a blonde-haired man. And knowing that Sinem, descendants through Canaan, are in part who the Chinese people are, but on top of it, everybody, as well, you've got people from the Table of Nations that come directly through those very same lines with Ashkenaz, Rafath, and Togmarath. Everybody remember, we've talked about this so many times. Ashkenaz were the Saka branch of the Scythian. They break it down. They tie into the more or less, you can break it down quite simply in towards like Finnish, Finland people, even to the original top of the chain with the Sami people. But everybody, you've got to remember something here. The Scythian is a little broader than that. When we see that terminology, we cannot go. Well, that's just one group of people because that's not what was being shown to us through, you know, the most infamous text everybody refers to is obviously Herodotus because he's the one that gives the most detailed description at the earliest point. He also goes through and he labels out the um, royal Scythian. Now, they, quote unquote, they use the terminology. They were an Iranian speaking group within the Scythian themselves. And, you know, you can break that down further because once you realize that, well, that's also part of the, what they call the Indo-European language base, you know, it's somebody speaking within that Indo-European language base that obviously also had tight connections with the Iranians. Where are they today? Those Royal Scythian. Well, they're settled in Ossetia in Georgia. 
So now we got one branch left, and they were referred to as the quote-unquote farmer Scythian, the ones that basically plowed the fields and so forth. But there's a twofold thing within this because the archaeological record shows you something very amazing concerning these farmer Scythians that are one and the same as the Slavic people. It quite emphatically shows you in broad daylight that they were also metalsmiths and they were farmers. You know, everybody think back to the uh, the infamous Russian flag with the hammer and the sickle. That's literally what they were telling you. They were showing you exactly who these Slavic people were that make up a mass majority of the population of modern-day Russia. Now, they want to confuse you. We've had all this stuff come down through the years that that's Rosh and Mishik. Folks, people, many scholars out there have put two and two together and said that's not the case. And this is going to lock into this timeline as well. And you're going to see this. The Slavic people, the word Slav essentially means spoken. And our friend, our Russian friend told me basically that on top of it, that word Slavo in the Russian language means spoken. Well, if you go in and look at Rafak, it is the very same definition. So that's where all that was going that was leading to this place having no idea what the Lord was preparing us for, because that had to be taken care of first for everything that we're about to see here to make absolute sense. And this was, and it's only actually been about a half a week here, Matthew, that this all happened. This progression happened last week. You know, my mind needing a break from all this intensive work I've been doing on the Slavic people, because I finally just finished up with this archaeological um, work from one of the top scholars in this area that has absolutely separated himself completely from any form of the pan-Slavism and nationalism that's going on there. And the recommendations will tell you flat out he's basically the only go-to guy at this point because he completely skips all the nonsense and goes straight to the heart of the matter. I just finished that book. In that same time span, I sat down and I watched the documentary where the second clip had come from. And that's where I caught the part at the end, because when you're looking at what happened here with this battle that they call Mi'kmash from what it's called in the Bible, and it come, you know, come to find out to find it in the records, it's spelled in a different way. It's a different word. I watched that. I sat there and I went, you've got to be kidding me. What in the world? I had to listen to it several times. I had to send it to Matthew. We sat and listened to it here by him hearing it through my speakers. What are they talking about? At first glance, you would look at it and go, well, 1,335 years from this date's going to land you here. This doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. We were looking at it in the wrong way because you have to take the entirety of the timeline and overlay it for it to make sense. Let me reiterate and explain this chronology, this timeline again, folks, because A, first off and foremost, the amount of work that has been done here in the background since 2011 to get this proper chronology and timeline set straight has been utterly, it's been overwhelming because of how much things have been absolutely obliterated since the last part of the 1800s 
going into early 1900. And I really hate to be the bearer of bad news, folks, but um, pull up James Darby's life and notice when he passed away on top of it because it all locks together. They want to blame certain people for doing this. Folks, it's always been tied into this dominionist, this crusader movement that has started completely wiping everything under the rug. And so many people want to sit here and point fingers in the wrong place. That's what happened. This is when everything started to get wrapped under the rug. Making matters worse, the major point in the timeline. As far as 12 BC, 21 AD, keep those numbers locked in your mind. Uh, matter of fact, memorize them. That began to get swept under the rug at the time that Constantine declared the Roman Empire to be Christian. All of a sudden, boom, that started disappearing. So we're dealing with something here where the timelines have been continually messed with and altered. And folks, if you don't have these correct chronologies, you're going to look at stuff and nothing's going to make sense. You can even go out, for instance, if you go and look at just the patterns of evidence project that, um, you know, our friend David Roll has been a great part of that, along with many others working at it as well. And all of them have brought something amazing to the table. It's always been about getting your chronology in the proper place, because if it's not, you go into the historical record, the archaeological record, you look, well, we can't find any evidence of this. So therefore, it's not true, according to uh, the mentalities that have come down through the ages here. Folks, it's because they've had the timeline thrown in disarray, and there's so many variables that go into this. It's absolutely ridiculous. Let's go into the Roman time frame, Pontificus Maximus. When that Caesar came to power, everybody, he completely altered and destroyed the timeline. So much so that I had to have a uh, spreadsheet document that somebody did up showing how many years just went into oblivion, how many years just repeated themselves because he came in and totally altered time. We should have known to watch for these things because prophecy tells us about the altering of time. Let me explain quickly here the workings of the timeline. I'm going to take a breather after that. So and let Matthew uh, fill in some of the gaps of things I'm saying here. Now, folks, you need to understand how this timeline of the end times, when we start looking at the book of Daniel, as a matter of fact, when we start looking all over the Bible, because these timelines are encoded everywhere, folks. Obviously here, as Matthew brought up previously, you've got this 2300 is your very first variable in this timeline. How do you get to the 2345 that Matthew mentioned? It took me a little bit to put two and two together on this, folks. I was a bit of a knucklehead the first night I started working on this. You're dealing with, uh, basically here, your 2300 marker, you put that 1010 in there, as Matthew explained, two years and under, 730 plus 280 for the last portion, a birth cycle. Then you come to the next phase. And what happens here, folks? Okay, you have three numbers that land on top of themselves right here. This marker itself alone, 1290 is here, the start point. And 1,335 
is also on top of it, 1335. So you have two start points in this one position. But as you move forward in the timeline, it breaks down like this, starting again with 2300. It goes 1010. Okay, then you have the next marker where those two dates overlap. But you have 280 days, a birth cycle count there. Another 1010, two years and under. And then you have the finality of the overlap of 45. And in order to understand this 1917 timeline, that's your starting point. And when you work in reverse, all of a sudden everything starts to stand out like a sore thumb. Now, let me point out quickly here, folks, before I give this back over to Matthew. Your very first variable, where it falls. You're going to deadpan right on 429 BC. And this is the time frame during Artaxerxes I. This is right leading up to the years where the temple was finished, as we are told in Ezra. Ezra tells us that these decrees went forth from Cyrus. Then it states Darius. Then it states Artaxerxes. And then it says it was completed in the time of Darius. Now, unfortunately, folks, somebody decided to get out there and once again play games with the timeline. They think this is funny. They think that nobody's going to sit down and actually read Ezra and Nehemiah and realize something doesn't add up. Right before you're told when the temple was finished, in that same chapter, it tells you emphatically again. Through the decrees, Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes. Now, when you look at the Persian kings list, you're going to realize something. This could have only took place, the temple could only have been finished at the time of Darius II. Darius Ochus is how you'll see it in the Greek. Because he falls after that list. And they confused everybody, folks. They try to tell you it was finished at the time of Darius I. This is key, critical, and crucial. When we know full well that that temple, thanks to our brother David Flynn, is the temple at the center of time, the very moment they have altered that date, everything falls into disarray. So I urge everybody to sit down and read through Ezra and Nehemiah. Back over to you, Matthew, here for a moment. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's amazing what you're going to begin to find when you start just taking these cogs and going back. <clears throat> take, for instance, we just take the first cog from 1917. Just use that integer for when time goes topsy-turvy. It's just amazing. Because you, of course, wind up right at one of the programs in Odessa. Riots, of course, 
there the Russians joined the Greeks in attacking the Jews. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not what really gets your attention. What really gets your attention is Ulysses S. Grant. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to read this from Brian's PDF. Because 1872 was the last instance until the 2016 presidential election in which more than one presidential elector voted for a candidate to which they were not pledged. That's just the first cog. Amazing to me that Brian happened to find this in the news. It's just completely off the chart. This day in Jewish history, this is from uh, Haratz, 1872, France's first Jewish prime minister is born, Leon Bull, who was arrested by the pro-Nazi Vichy regime and sent to two concentration camps, served as France's leader on three separate occasions, April the 9th, 1872. The first Jewish prime minister of France was born. So, in multiple ways, God is literally jerking your chain. He is rattling your cage, trying to get you to see the rifling down the barrel of time. Now, just so you all know, in reference to Mikmash, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Brian doesn't even know this. I haven't told him. But ladies and gentlemen, when you read the books, the literature, ladies and gentlemen, it's absolutely off the charts what is described there, when you look over the books, it will rattle your cage. It really will. Especially when it's described uh, that the men uh, stowed away at night went up on the backside of Mishmash. In the morning, everybody fled because they thought that this small detachment was actually the entire British force when it obviously was not. And ladies and gentlemen, Major Gilbert himself said there's no way you could have done that. Well, he did. <laughs> he never expected it. You see, because he himself wrote in his journal a detailed account how, well, this was just like Jonathan – And Mikmash. Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand that story is all over 1 Samuel 13 and 14. It's also, of course, mentioned in the moving along the progression in Isaiah chapter 10. I hope you all realize 
that the 1335 to 825 divine ratio multiple times across those chapters. Multiple times. So, ladies and gentlemen, what, what we're looking at here as I look over this timeline, it's almost like you would have to be blind as a bat not to see it. Now, when we go back, stretch it all the way back, take the 1917 back off of it. For the 1335, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how. This is a real question. How did Major Gilbert know what he was talking about? He would have had to have known about the beginning of the breaking of the Bunzentines. He would have had to, ladies and gentlemen, because when you go back… From 1917, 1335, you're talking about the siege of Serenium and its fall. Ladies and gentlemen, he knew that very place. He knew what had happened then. He had to have known all this beforehand… In order for him to write in his journal what he wrote, that this was an answer to the 1335. This was the rise, of course, of the Ottoman Empire. This is what started it. This was the Bunzantine's downfall. It began right there, right then. You know, at, at this point in time, you need to really consider how the Lord our God has commanded us to view time. The only eschatological approach is the utilization of isochronal eschatology. That it, it, what I'm saying is true. This is what comes out of his own mouth. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. Times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish my good pleasure. What's his good pleasure? If you haven't read the book of Ecclesiastes, you don't know what his good pleasure is, because it's there that he tells you. It's there that he tells you in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15. That which has already been and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. He just told you of the eternal return. The academics call it eternal reoccurrence. All these references together in the Bible, God's holy word, it leaves you scratching your head because – well, consider this. Uh, how many theories are there about the millennium? Because God only says one thing, and that's what he means. 
Why are there so many different uh, uh, theories about the millennium? Because there is no theories. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no theories about when the millennium is. There's just not. Let's take this. I'm going to read this by uh, somebody's statement of faith page. They quote concerning the millennium. Because of the diverse opinions among Christians regarding the millennium, our position is that of amillennialism, premillennialism, and postmillennialism are within the scope of Christian orthodoxy. We reject full preterism, the teaching that Jesus returned in 70 AD, but affirm that partial preterism is within orthodoxy, though we hold to the premillennial view. That is a bunch of gobbledygook. That's yada, 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 as the Jews say. Because it's really black and white. God really does come out and tell you when the millennium is, what comes after it, and what comes before it. So with these things in mind, ladies and gentlemen… You need to seriously consider what it is that we're trying to share with you tonight because this is very important. I'm trying to tell you that it's important that you see what God is talking about. I mean, I would… Advise you all, if you haven't yet, to go see my blog post, the 5777 in the Bible, Part 1, The Law. Just just listen to all that's coming to pass. June the 7th, 2017 will be the 50th anniversary of the Israeli reclaiming the Temple Mount. August 29th, 2017 will be the 120th anniversary of the First Zionist Congress. November the 2nd, 2017, will be the 100th anniversary of the Belfort Declaration. November the 29th, 2017, will be the 70th anniversary of the United Nations, the Jewish promised land in Israel. December the 23rd, 2016, a complete nine-month birthing cycle before the wondrous sign of Revelation 12 occurs, the United Nations Security Council passed Resolution 2334, thereby dividing the land into promise. And non-promised parcels. Ladies and gentlemen. These temporal seculars are real. They occurred this year. These are the facts that 5777 is alphanumerically in the Masoretic text exactly 50 times. Ladies and gentlemen. You need to familiarize yourself with isochronal eschatology because any of the other branches of eschatology, they're wrong, and they know it. Profess to be an expert or a theologian and have never read God's word and know exactly what he says about time. So… With that in mind, try to sweep the cobwebs out of your mind and try to realize that 
what Brian is sharing is magnificently important because literally if we would have been studying this beforehand, we would have seen it coming. Brian, back to you. And this is, you know, where we deal with some rather amazing things that are happening here. You know, if you look at this uh, quick little tiny account, there's a blog that um, a couple of people have actually done buried um, writings on this. If you type in the capture of Mikmash, M-I-C-H-M-A-S-H, you should be able to find a couple of decent websites here. And as Matthew had described some of those things going on, you know, it gets rather interesting as you look at this account. Um, we can start right here. General Allenby, who himself was a committed Christian and Bible scholar, contemplated on the best way to capture this Turkish stronghold, recognizing the cost that an attack on the place would be. He committed the situation to the Lord in prayer. One night he was awakened by one of his officers, Vivian, Major Vivian Gilbert. Major Gilbert had heard something about Mikmash in the Bible and had looked it up. He found that the town was once the site of a great battle between the Philistines and the army of King Saul, found in the 14th chapter of 1 Samuel. The Bible tells us how Jonathan, King Saul's son, and his armor bearer crept up the rocky crag by a secret passage between two rocks, Boaz and Sanaa. And real quick here, folks, one means basically white and shining rock, or breaking it down a little bit, and Sana means thorny. By night, and suddenly attacked the Philistines. The Philistines, believing that the entire Israelite army was upon them, fell into utter confusion, and in the darkness began killing one another. This proved to be a significant victory for the Israelites. Major Gilbert awakened General Alby. And showed him the biblical account, and together they studied the 13th and 14th chapters of 1 Samuel. They decided to imitate the attack described in the Bible on the night of February 18th of 1918. General Allenby sent one company of soldiers up by the secret pass under the cover of night. As in the biblical account, the enemy was thrown into confusion and were completely routed by the Allies. Fortress of Michmash was captured. And later, the entire land of Israel, because of this victory, General Allenby was dubbed Viscount of Megiddo. That last line should catch your attention, folks. But on top of it here, you should know already Then you need to go into 1 Samuel and read. Now, remember how it said 13 and 14, folks? I'd advise you to go to chapter 12 and read through. 15 as well. Matter of fact, I would probably advise reading the whole book of Samuel. Take that a step forward and read the whole Bible, folks. Nonetheless, you're going to notice something here when you go into chapters 13 and 14. It states something very specific about how Jonathan proceeded. Brought up two things. If they come to us, then the Lord's not with us. If they call us up to them, then the Lord is with us. They get up there. They slay the group up there. You'll notice some very interesting things here, though, because they have um, acre, plow, 
which sort of to a degree, folks, it breaks down if you really stop and think and consider World War One and their type of warfare. You could even think of a trench. But it says something very alarming if you catch it. Down below in the camp where in that time around the ride, it was the Philistines. This time around the ride, it was the Ottomans. Well, it states that when the Philistines there, the earth begun to shake. There's a great shaking of the earth. And then you have, you go in and start looking at the Hebrew words. It's going to take you all over the place, folks. It's going to take you all over. Now, everybody recall what Matthew said concerning that 45 days. Because I'm about to show some people, I'm about to show everybody something that really should catch you by storm. Because it not only happens once, it happens twice. Now, here in the year of 1872, you've got some real interesting things happening. Let me see here. Where is this one? December 15th. Now, recall, folks, there was a date in December. Well, December 7th is rather interesting. The HMS Challenger set sail on a 3.5-year world oceanographic cruise. 3.5 years, folks, that's pretty uh, on the mark. December 15th, USA, a magnitude 6-point earthquake occurs. This is at the 45-year previous marker. But it does not only happen there. Let me pull that one up fast. Oops, wrong one. I am sorry that I have to go to the micro timeline because um, it also happens again. And the micro timeline, marking it into this battle of Mi'kmaq, folks, because we're dealing with two timelines. One's locked into the December date when they recaptured Jerusalem. We have a secondary timeline locked into this battle of Mi'kmaq. Guatemala City completely destroyed by an earthquake. This was exactly 45 days. 45 days from when this battle of Mi'kmaq occurred. All right, folks, look. Now you're dealing with absolute impossibilities. You're not dealing with coincidence anymore. Two places destroyed by an earthquake. Guatemala City destroyed. Then we had a massive earthquake in Lake Chelan, Washington, USA, a 6.8. Earlier in 1872, fire destroys 1,000 buildings in Boston, Massachusetts. You also had the great Chicago fire that fell within a year on the opposite side. Um, this is just, this is only the tip. Folks, it keeps going. April 24th of that year, volcano Vesuvius erupts. What else do we have in this year? France Joseph, or Francis Joseph, one of Austria. Pull him up, folks. He's all over, tied in with Austria, Prussian War, Austria-Hungary, and the Balkans. 
This is everywhere encoded within this. 1872. We go down here to uh, Library of World History containing a record of the human race, volume 8. And just the side notes here, struggle between the church and state, Jesuits expelled, Protestant Education Act, Germany's open rupture with the Roman church. Let's see here. The Jesuits were especially active in inciting opposition of the imperial government. And in 1872, the Reichstag passed a law expelling them from the German Empire. This is talking about the Jews, folks. 1872, the Prussian Diet passed an act taking control of the primary education of the youth out of the lands of the clergy, both Protestant and Catholic. Okay. This just keeps going and going and going. And as Matthew stated before, you look into very specifically that time frame in Jewish history. And as a matter of fact, if you go all the way through that decade, you're going to realize that they were being persecuted believable lengths throughout a mass majority of the world. And this, you'll see this pattern continues to happen over and over and over and over again. We have so many other things in here. I mean, let's see here, 1872, just to read off some of these. There's too much, folks. It just keeps going and going and going. We had the uh, equine influenza, which hit most of the United States. And at that time, it pretty much put it down to a dead standstill, considering most transportation was carried out by horses. It caused massive devastation with the economy and all kinds of other problems with the infrastructure, etc. Luckily, when this great Boston fire broke out, they were able to get the horses in there, at least at a rather quick pace. But... United States took a massive hit. And folks, you can go in and look. There is a site that is called www.jewishhistory.org.il slash historyphp, where you can go in and look at this time frame. And it will bring you to a .php question mark start year equals 1870 and the symbol and end year equals 1879. It's very easy to navigate through this site, folks. I would recommend bookmarking it and putting it on your toolbar. And I'm going to stop there before we move into the next year. Let Matthew take over for just a minute here. Sure, it's it's time for us to head to break. But let's let's think about some of the other things that happened as far as celestial cosmology is concerned. Ladies and gentlemen, this is when the... November the 9th, 1872, is when the Great Boston Fire occurred. Okay? Take note that it was that same month that the Andromeda meteor shower over France was absolutely off the charts. I mean... It is by definition described by the journalist at the time to be a celestial event. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you might want to do some research on uh, the underlying causes uh, to that Great Boston Fire. 
and realize that once you take a look at the pictures, just take note that it was the Great Chicago Fire had occurred one year earlier with massive celestial somology involved around that event, although they want you to think that a cow started it. So take a look and see what you can see. We'll be right back after this 7 minute and 37 second break. Because ladies and gentlemen, what you should be doing from here on out is not studying the stock market. That's not important. I know what you should be doing though.
You are listening to the End Time Tribune, your go-to source for breaking news and current events pertaining to end time Bible prophecy. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the End Time Tribune. Before we drive forward down this barrel and we twist ourselves according to its rifling, let me point you back once again to the Boston Fire. I'm going to read something to you that you probably don't know, but everybody did at the time. You see, because... There was a horse flu epidemic that had immobilized Boston's fire department horses. 
as a result, all the fire equipment had to be pulled to the fire by teams of volunteers on foot. This is often cited as the leading cause of this fire growing out of control. But the city commission investigating the fire found that the fire crew's response time were delayed only by a matter of minutes. Ah, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder why this whole topic isn't talked about because you have to go back to 1972 to figure out why it was that this didn't get a whole lot of coverage, Major Gilbert's campaign. Because, of course, World War I was in the way. World War I was in the way. Battles were taking place everywhere, everywhere. Almost like the whole event had been covered up. I don't know. Maybe due to the sound of hoofbeats. Brian, jump back in here, and uh, let's go back in time, shall we? Indeed. Let's move forward here, folks, because let's see here. Our next uh, our next marker in this timeline, because let's see, we touched the 45. That brings you to 1872. And quickly, folks, so I can point out, so there was no mistakes made in these calculations. I used the Hebrew years, and it used a very specific calculator working with those that does an exact and absolute conversion to the very month, to the very date, and then gives you the Gregorian and the Julian calendar. So rest assured, folks, these dates are accurate. But we go to that 45-year mark, as we stated, that was October the 21st of 1872. We have not even touched the tip of the iceberg concerning that. For time, though, we cannot sit in that area. This is where, folks, you need to look into these things on your own. Now, when we go back for, to the uh, next variable, going in reverse from 1917, this falls on a 1010 measurement. And this is going to take us to 8. 62 AD, 862 AD, to quickly move over a couple of fine points here. This was a very important time as far as the Slavic people were concerned and what happened here with what they referred to as the quote-unquote founding date for northern Russia. Um, 862 A.D., Rorik led Viking raids on Russia. The Viking chieftain Rorik led raids on northern Russia. It is believed that in 862, he and his band called Varangians were invited to Novograd to bring order to the area. This is said to mark the beginning of the imperial Russian period. Now, folks, this is something I have to point out very quickly. This is one of the contentions where they have tried to confuse everybody and say this because Rurik, Rus, etc. Well, that's what Rosh is in the Bible. This is where they've gone in and completely gotten this all off mark. 
This place was named Kevin Rush. Later, when we do this next program, you're going to find out that there's a word in Herodotus that's going to lead you straight to Crimea, which is rather amazing, but it only goes back to Rapoth. This is why I brought up earlier the Slavic people. What happened here with Rurik is the Slavs were fighting back and forth and back and forth amongst themselves, and they basically stated, we need somebody to come in here and bring order. And Rurik came along. That's who they basically had contacted. He brought order. But... Folks, they didn't stay around. They brought order for that time. The Vikings were what? They were warriors and they were merchants. A combination of both. You'll see here, there's a whole lot tied into this. Just with them alone. Um, Going back over here, if you bring up just the standard encyclopedia article from, here's the Wikipedia one, which I've really at times don't like using, but nonetheless, this gives you just a brief overview. Once again, what I just brought up previously, the Rangians called Russ under the leadership of Rurik, a Viking chieftain, arrived with his brothers, Sinius and Truvar, at Starea Logoda. He builds a trade settlement near Novgorod, modern Russia, and founds the Rurik dynasty. King Lothgaria tries to divorce his wife on trumped-up charges of incest with the support of his brother, Louis II, Bishop's give him permission to remarry during a synod at Akan. March. Everybody that has watched Vikings, the History Channel program, ought to recognize this event. Viking raiders led by Willand are trapped at the Tribodol Bridge, northern France, and submit to King Charles the Bald. He and his family accept Christianity. They are baptized before leaving Neustria. This was the plot line of the last previous two seasons before the one that is airing right now, folks. It's right in there in broad daylight. So any of you fans of that program out there should automatically have that stick out like a sore thumb. Robert the Strong, Margrave, captures 12 Viking ships and kills their crew. Once again, that's in there. He pays tribute to Donegal to keep the Vikings out of Neustria. Karl Mann, eldest son of King Louis, the German revolts against his father. He is captured but manages to escape. Ostermark in 861. The first written record, according to the primary chronicle, is made in the towns of Belazok and Moron, northern Russia. And this is the primary chronicle is one of the chief ones where they tried to draw together the history of Russia. The problem is, folks, as you've got to recall, after the Crusades went down during those times, etc., things got really confused. And when you start looking at any of these Um, what they refer to as European nations. Anytime you start going into these Middle Ages histories, it's going to confuse the living daylights out of you because they kind of were in a position where they wanted to be associated with the Table of Nations, but they necessarily didn't understand where they fit. And this was common during those times with a mass majority of these nations all through, you know, different points in history they are coming to the Lord in Christianity. So this is how a lot of this confusion came in, and it's a typical, majorly um, standout within the Russian Chronicles. In Britain, April 13th, King Donald of Scotland dies after a four-year reign. He is succeeded by his nephew, Constantine I, as the ruler of Scotland. So once again, they this is common as well. They named their different leaders after Caesars in Scotland, or I mean in Scotland, well, from Rome, obviously. 
the Abbasid Caliphate, the Caliph. What is that, folks? We've talked about that time and time again. That is what Islamic Empire. Caliph Al-Munistar dies after a half-year reign. He is succeeded by Al-Mustani as the ruler of the Abbasid Caliphate. Again, in the same period, Ashad the Great, recognized as the prince of princes of Armenia by the Abbasids. China, Fanchuo finishes his Manchu Book of the Southern Tribes during the Tang Dynasty. Now, this one I find really interesting, folks, here under the subtitle of religion. You're going to see Constantine the Philosopher invents the 42-letter Slavonic alphabet acrylic script as a tool for converting the Moravians to Christianity. And this is the approximate dating of it. Now, folks, this is when you study the history of the Slavs in Russia, that's actually a very important pivot point. And, you know, you've got deaths and births here of all kinds of uh, important people. And you can pull up a simple history of Russia. For instance, this is on historyofworld.org slash Russia. And you can find this right here. Russia has been inhabited for at least 4,000 years. Waves of nomadic invasions occurred under the 13th century. Goths, Hun, Bulgars, Avar, Khazars, Turks, Magars, and other invaders marauded the steppes and influenced Slavic culture, including that of the Russians. Uh, you can go in and look at this article and just get a tiny understanding of the history leading up to this. Another one, you got a timeline of 800 through 900. And this one in 862, once again, it's going to tell you the same things I just covered there. Jewish history from that same site I mentioned before. 860, 860 Fez, Morocco, the local Yasha, seeing a beautiful Jewish girl, followed her and forced his way into the woman's bathhouse, causing a local Jewish riot. It is not known what the repercussions were, if any. In 869, seven years later, we have Garan of Surah completed at the request of the Spanish community the first real Siddhar prayer book, which is the basis of one the, for the one in use today. The book concentrated more on service regulations than on liturgical text until then, although prayers had been recited since early Mishnic times, there was no official prayer book that contained all the various liturgical texts. So that's, that's just a sampling. Once again, there's a whole lot more, folks. I mean, history is not simple. It's complex. You have to look at the entirety of everything going on in the world to really understand the whole overall picture. We can't cover everything in history in a two-hour program. And our next marker, that goes back. Double check this. This goes back to that 280 year cycle. This one is going to take you into 582 AD. And see here, 582. Matter of fact, there's a whole lot of stuff to pull up here. I'm going to let Matthew interject while I get these ready in the background. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as we. <clears throat> talk about this this powder keg you can plainly see where all this is going you talk about the the Rus people altogether of course those are Finnish and Swedish 
terms, of course, used nowadays for the Ruskies, ladies and gentlemen. They came down into these very parts. World War One literally exploded off of the timeline, and it had everything to do with the Balkans. Of course, that's why we couldn't perceive what had gone on in the Battle of Jerusalem. It was covered up by this. I expect we're going to have the very same event horizon. You'll take note. This is, of course, the time for the Finnish-Russian Winter War. The Russians expected no, <laughs> no resistance. Boy, did they have another thing coming from these boys. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to realize that Brian has already did the archaeogenetical research for this plain that lies there in the center of the Balkans. Brian has proved beyond any shadow of a doubt all these maps are already available showing to you the genetic migration of the people in question. This is getting ready to explode in our face. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to keep our eyes open. We've got to. Four hours ago, an American paramedic killed during a monitoring mission in Ukraine. Just happened today. This just happened today. Putin's friend emerges from shadows in Ukraine. Oh, I bet he did. Ladies and gentlemen, today Russia vowed to get Ukrainian separatists to comply with deal. We are right where we have been before. When the entire world exploded into war. I mean, it amazes me, ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about World War One, and you look at the timeline for World War One. how on earth did we get in it? It's just off the charts. I mean, we were busy in so many different places. Huh. <sighs> It's just amazing. But ladies and gentlemen, we're being set up for this to happen again, and this time it's not going to go very well. It's just not. It's not going to go well. So we need to keep an eye on this place. You need to keep your eye on Gog and Magog. 
is because of them that the world to end or the war to end all wars started and reciprocated itself in World War Two. Brian, back to you. Looks like we have thirty minutes left, so let's get to it. I agree here, folks, and that's just it. We got so much left to cover. You know, and to touch on that topic here quick, folks, let's let's um get some misconceptions out of your minds very fast here. Gog and Magog. I brought this up before. Magar. They are part and parcel. They live with the Hungarian people. They are in the Balkans. That's where they came from. Gomer was the Cimmerians in ancient times. They moved out from the Ukraine after fighting with the Scythian tribes. And they went across. They moved up into where? Germany and France. It is common knowledge in many circles to this day, folks, that Gomer is what? Germany and France. Are they connected? Are they related? Yes. Okay, the Meshach and Rosh part, that's not Russia, everybody. It's real important to amplify that again, what I said concerning the Rus. They did not stick around. They came in to basically stop the feuding that was going on back and forth with the Slavs, and then they moved on their way after a time. Are some of them settled in modern-day Russia? Well, of course, some of them are. There's, you know, pockets of varied people in Russia, but there's a very high majority of what you would refer to as the Eastern Slavs. When you break down those other terminologies, they'll try to confuse you with Southern Slavs, with the Northern, with uh, Western, etc. Because, folks, there's not just the Slavic um, Rifat, like I said before, in the Table of Nations mixed in when you go into the Balkans especially. It is a whole large... Um, Large mix of varied people groups, Macedonians, Greeks. You've got the uh, Slavs in there, Albanians, um, the Serbs, the Hungarians, the Austrians, the Magar. It's a lot of different people groups all in this one spot. And it has been a great place of contention going all throughout history. So let us move forward. We have to cut, touch on this one. Is the last uh, parallel going back to this stage, which is going to take you at... 582. This is the last variable. Let me see here. One moment. Sorry about that. Am I on the wrong one? I'm on the wrong one. Sorry. Uh, This is the uh, 280 marker in this timeline. And this brings you to October 31st of 582. Well, not October 31st. Never mind, folks. Ah, that's You want to have the year for this portion of it. It's 582. And once again, we walk into an absolute mirror of everything we're seeing happen as we speak. In the Byzantine Empire, Tiberius II, Constantine, age 47, dies possibly from a deliberately poisoned food at Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, everybody. After a four-year reign during which Thrace and Greece have been inundated by the Slavs, he is succeeded by his son-in-law, Maurice, former rotary, notary who is commanded by the Byzantine Empire in the war against the Persian Empire. 
Okay, right there, that one little statement should say a whole lot because it does. This is when the Slavic people began to appear on the scene, and all of a sudden they pen into the history books the Slavs. And that's how they get back in time. It's a confusion. Well, we've never heard them mentioned before. Well, they called them by a different name at this point, but they still retain that word Slav can be broken down in the etymology to what? It can be broken down to spoken. The same as a table of nations, Rafat means spoken, to speak. Let's see here. In Europe, the siege of Simrin, the Avars under the ruler of Kagan Bayan, aided by the Slavic auxiliary troops, captured the city of Simrin almost three. After a, a three-year siege, Bayan establishes a new base of operations with the Byzantine Empire, from which he plunders the Balkan Peninsula. Gunald, legitimate son of Clotaire I, arrives financial support of Constantinople in southern Gaul. He claims as a usurper kings of cities of Pontia and Toulouse, part of the Frankish kingdom. This is an approximate date. The Visigoths, under King Levigod, capture the city of Meridia, west-central Spain, which is under the political control of its popular bishop, Masona. He is arrested, exiled for three years, Again, now in Persia, those were it went from Byzantine Empire, then the next set I read was from Europe. This is in Persia, modern day Iran. A Persian army under Tamkarosa crosses the Euphrates rivers and attacks the city of Constantine. Ah, and they have right here modern Turkey. Where was that? Istanbul. But he is defeated by the Byzantines and killed. We have several things here happening in. Asia and China that are also important. By religion, John Nestorius becomes the 33rd bishop of the Patriarch of Constantinople. And let me see here what else we have. Look up the Emperor Maurice. Siege of Sirmium. So the decisive event in the history of the Balkans. The fall of the city to the Avars. Deprived the Byzantine Empire of its major stronghold on the northern Danube, opening the path for devastating incursions by the Avars and their Slavic allies into the Balkans. In Jewish history, once again, folks, you can go over and look at that on that same site. You have a very major string of events that are going on here. Chronology of world history in this gap. There's some really interesting things that happen. You can start looking here. Let's see. 580 in Lorraine. A great light is seen across the sky, falling to the earth with a crushed, crash herd across the countryside. The city of Bordeaux is shaken by an earthquake. Villages are burned down. The city of Orleans is burned in a great fire. 582. Maurice Tiberius crowned emperor of Byzantine Empire. Once again, as we brought up before, death of Tiberius, the second Constantine emperor of Byzantine. 585, three years after. War between Lydia and Media ended by a what? A solar eclipse. Folks, this is not the first time that event happened. You'll find that in ancient history, that exact same war. 588. In China, a red-colored object is reported to fall with a noise like thunder and exploded, burning several houses. Um, and once again, to point that out, folks, you're going to find that all over these timelines in China. This same event seems repeating in these year gaps moving forward or backwards. 
You can find these at worldtimeline.info. Now, this is where we got to start moving into the day portion. We still have a whole other section to cover here, folks. We've got two timelines. I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to slam through the rest of these as fast as we can. Matthew, come in. All right. Uh, we are down to 22 minutes left. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're getting a broad brush stroke because there's many intricacies here that we could cover, as you've already surmised me just bringing up a little bit of data points on it. It is absolutely critical that you seen as we folded back in time using this temporal secular that Major Gilbert had discovered, and like I said, I have no idea how he discovered it. But when you consider these things, I mean, Brian went over a massive amount uh, of not only written work but documentaries. Um, against all odd, Israel survives episode two, the miracle at Mikmash. Uh, he had to uh, watch Blood and Oil. Uh, the Middle East and World War One. Uh, on top of all of the other stuff he had to read and document. Make no mistakes about it. I immediately told Brian, you need to get these, this book that the major wrote. You need to get it on the way. Because we need to understand how it is he was able to see what to do even to capture McMash by surprise. So it's amazing how rolled back in time again, there you have the same instigators. You have the Persians. You have the Slavs. It's just off the charts. You can see the mirror, the shadow and the silhouette of time going round and round we go. Everything that Brian has covered is proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord, our God, was not joking with anybody. When he said it was his good pleasure to chase after that which had been. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you need to start watching the news and realize that right there in the hot spot, it's already bull. Go to Macedonia. It's off the chart. Off the charts. They are bubbling. They are fuming. Right now, even France is getting ready to explode because Le Pen, the populist, the nationalist, today she comes out and she says, well, I'm just going to step down as the leader of my party. Throwing everything into consternation. Ladies and gentlemen, as far as I'm concerned, I think the French people have just about had enough. I mean, does everybody forget when Barack Obama sent an entourage to France because of – ladies and gentlemen, they don't get diplomas over there. there. There's no point. There's no jobs. 
so they don't have to get a diploma from high school. They just issue work permits because there's no jobs. Go back in the news and look it up because Barack Obama was thinking about, hey, we probably need to do this here pretty soon in our country. No, really. I'm not lying to you. Bry, get back at it. We have got tons to cover. Yeah, we do here, folks. And, you know, we need to break down this parallel again. Like we pointed out previous here, we've got a year countdown. This is why, as Matthew pointed out, this general, how did he come to this conclusion? And they understood it. They knew this broke down to 1,335 years to that very day in December. It was written exactly as that in the book of Haggai. This is enough to baffle you at first and blow your mind unless you go in and do this correct chronology. Otherwise, you cannot see it. They state in there. It was in the book of Daniel. They knew. Well, what's the state in Daniel? 1,290 days. Blessed is he who makes it to 1,335. If you go back in Daniel, 2,300 days. It's all here once you understand it. And like I pointed out before, when it finally ends, its last location, when you take it all the way back to that final 2300 cog in the year timeline, that brings you to 429 BC, right at the time that Artaxerxes I was ruling. When was the temple rebuilt, folks? It was rebuilt in 414 BC at the time of Darius II, and it was finished. This lands you right in the middle of everything. Prophecies in Daniel, Haggai, Ezra, Nehemiah. You can go back into Esther to get even more details. It just keeps going in circles, folks. It lands you deadpan in this area. And who was the last decree sent forth by Artaxerxes I? It's a key crucial marker. That decree went forth in 463 B.C. Now we go to the micro. That's what I called the terminology here until I think of a better name. Because we have the years and the days. But this one starts where? The Lord decided to start this timeline with that capture of Michmash. That happened on February 18th of 1918. When you go backwards from there, you end up at January 4th of 1918. That is 45 days previous to that. At this point in time, on the Western Front, we had further British air raids on the Metz District. On the Eastern Front in World War I, we had the Bolshevik government recognizes the independence of Finland. Folks, this is right at the time that the Russian Revolution had won had gone down, they had removed themselves from the war, and they began to move forward towards Soviet Russia. The Southern Front, Austrians bomb Mr. Bassano and Castle Franco. We had the Asiatic and Egyptian theaters. The British had again advanced for a mile north of Jerusalem. Naval and overseas operations. British naval aircraft 
bomb Gisali's Aerodome. A hospital ship, Rewa, has been t- torpedoed off the Bristol Channel, all wounded saved. Now, remember what I said about that 45 m- marker. The 45 marker. Again, I'll repeat this. The Guatemala City was completely destroyed by an earthquake. Again, on this day, German Chancellor von Herling announces denial of Russian proposals for transfer of peace conference to Stockholm and for evacuation of occupied territories prior to votes for self-determination. British hospital ship Rewa sunk by a submarine in the Bristol Channel. Three were lost. Now, it's very interesting, folks. Go out and look at the archives. The specific one I pulled up was the Chicago Tribune archives. You can go through each one of these dates, and if you plug in a day forward and a couple days forward, when the news hit in the United States, it is very eye-opening. Our next variable, again, and how the countdown works. Now we have a 10-10 variable. That going from January 4th of 1918 is going to bring you to March 31st of 1915. We had on the Eastern Front, the Germans bombard Labu. What is Labu, folks? You should know that from the Bible already. That was the term used for Libya. Severe fighting in the Carpathians. We had uh, political events. Home Secretary appoints a committee of inquiry into the recruiting of men from retail trades. There's a whole lot more going in here, folks. Go into that Chicago Tribune that I brought up earlier. It is absolutely unbelievable what you're going to find. Now, we land on the 280 days, the birth cycle in the count. Let me repeat myself again, folks. You need to get this in your mind now because you automatically should be thinking of Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, the moment. I explain what happened on this date 280 days prior to the capture of Mikmash. From here, you're going backwards again from March 31st of 1915, a subtraction of 280 days. It is going to bring you to June 24th of 1914. Just this day alone, Austria-Hungary prepared a letter for its Allied Germany stating Romania could no longer be considered reliable in addressing a political issue in the Balkans. Following the June 14th summit at Constantina Romania at the summit, Russia had begun working on forming an alliance with Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, Greece, and Montegerno against Austria-Hungary. To counter this, Austria-Hungary recommended the empire, Germany, the Ottoman Empire, and Bulgaria should form an alliance against Russia. And fortunately, this letter was delayed with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria. Folks, this happened four days later. Three days from this, the conspiracy had already moved into place and the assassin had positioned himself. We have more things that happened here as well. But that's where we have to look at this now. Three days later, June 27th. U.S. Presidential Advisor Edward M. House met with British Foreign Secretary Edward Gray in London as part of the U.S. mission to persuade Great Britain and Germany to join the United States 
in a diplomatic alliance to preserve peace in Europe, especially in the face of Germany's growing militarization. House advised Gray the Kaiser himself and most of his immediate advisors did not want war because they wished Germany to expand commercially and grow in wealth, but the army was militarily aggressive and ready for war at any time. Both concluded the meeting, neither England, Germany, Russia, nor France desire war. Once again, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria, a member of the secret Serbian military society, the Black Hand, distributed pistols, bombs, and cyanide pills to six assassins that would be placed along the procession route of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, would take when he carried out military inspections the next day in Sarajevo. June 28, 1914, on Sunday, four days later, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and his wife, Sophie, Duchess of Holmberg, and his party traveled by train from Ilza to Sarajevo, where they met with Bosnia and Hargovnia. Governor Oscar Poratik, the schedule was to include military inspection at the city's barracks and the meeting with the dignitaries at Sarajevo's town hall. Once again, on this same day, the first attempt was made. It was failed, folks. I'm not going to go into this. They tried using a bomb. It didn't work. Now, here's where the assassination goes down. Garuvo Princip assassinated the Archduke and his wife, Sophie, after they left Sarajevo's town hall. Princip was able to get close to the Archduke when his motorcade became trapped in a dead end after taking a wrong turn. He shot the Austrian noble in the neck and Sophie in the abdomen as she tried to shield her husband. Princip was immediately arrested and both the Archduke and his wife were taken back to the town hall for medical treatment. Both died of their injuries when Sophie, on arrival at town hall, Ferdinand around 10 minutes after. And this is where everything began to explode, everybody. Our next date. When we go 10-10 backwards, this is going to take you to, from June 24th of 1914, this is going to take you back to September 18th of 1911. On this day, Osman Ali Khan was formally enthroned as the new Nizam of Hyderabad in an elaborate durbar attended by the nobility across his Indian princely state. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, you might want to look into this guy. Up until 1967, he reigned. He was the most, the richest man in the entire world, and he was in India. We had an airplane reconnaissance, basically came about that day, but we had a mega flashpoint here. Died on this day. Pratar Stolipin, at age of 49, the prime minister of Russia, four days after being shot by assassins. In the Chicago Tribune, when you get this article that comes up on the 18th of September of 1911, the very headline states this, Stolpen is dead, Jews flee mobs. Between 1911, June 22nd through 1913, the Bellish trials in Russia took place. This happened after a Christian boy was found dead near a brick factory in which Mandel Bellis worked. He was accused of a ritual murder by the government. The only evidence was the word of a drunken couple who claimed they saw a man with a black beard walking with the child. The Russian government actively took up the case after the assassination of Stolpin by a Jewish revolutionist. 
Professor Surarovsky, an eminent professor of psychology, proved the Jews used Christian blood for ritual purpose. Bellis's lawyers, Margolin and Grusenberg, fought the government for two years until diplomatic pressure under the Russians to drop the charges. Bellis then settled in the United States, where he died after a long illness in 1934. Folks, it also stated right there two years in this trial went on. That last marker was a 10-10. And that's everything there. We got hopefully a little overdrive time to discuss now this. Back to you, Matthew. Let's make the most of this overdrive time that we have 15 minutes were allotted. That's right. So that means we got about 20 total. That's right. But ladies and gentlemen, you can see it's literally blazes off the timeline. I mean, Brian went back forth in years, and then he went back forth in days, and it's just enough to s- rattle your cage. Ladies and gentlemen, let me state this very clear for you. Brian and I was talking this morning about this very thing, about how people can't see just exactly what Matthew 24 is saying. There are three differentiations here. In verse 9 of Matthew chapter 24, he specifically gives you uh, the parameters for when you will go into tribulation. In the 21st verse, then he describes the parameters for the great tribulation. Ladies and gentlemen, in verse 29, he makes himself perfectly clear what is going to terminate that great tribulation. I told Brian, I've been live and on the air a guest on other people's broadcast. And I was just amazed because as I talked about it, they wanted me to explain it. And it hit me midstream on air that, oh my goodness, they don't realize what it's saying. They don't realize that it's all right there. You're going through the full meal deal. The only question is, is have you been properly relocated or not? You know, I, I appreciate that the other day... Uh, for breaks, I have started playing uh, the book of Revelation being read, and I actually got a couple of emails where people had actually figured it out. I guess they'd never listened to it or read it in a row, but they marveled after it, and they said, Matthew, now I understand what you're saying, because the first thing that happens… <laughs> Is of course a great day of he who sitteth upon the throne. And the martyrs, they're told to wait a little while longer because they've got to be counted. And the very next chapter, they are counted. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize that's why verse 21 of Matthew 24 says what it says. You're supposed to know who the elect are. Here, let me read it. Uh, for then there will be a great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world, until now, nor ever will be. Now, this is the sixth seal. 
Okay, what happens next? That's right. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we get separated. All right? Right here is where you get your eagle's wings, Revelation chapter 12. This is it. Okay? So those that remain, that have not held to the law and to the testimony, they're marked. Now, this is why they're marked, because those that are waiting at the altar in heaven, now they know who <laughs> is going to complete their number so that they can be avenged. Okay, let me read again. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, unless those days have been cut short. Of course they've been cut short, ladies and gentlemen. I've told you a million times, time went topsy-turvy before the great day if he was set up upon the throne. You have 365 days that are 24 hours long that has a duration of 1,290 days. After the great day if he was set up upon the throne, you will have 1,260 days. And the hours will be struck by one-third, ladies and gentlemen. So it's only going to be how many hours a day? That's right, 16 hours a day. Okay, let's, let's go ahead and keep reading. Unless those days been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now you know who the elect are. They got numbered in chapter 7, and they got numbered because… Those crying out at the altar in heaven that had been murdered. If then if anyone says to you, behold, here's a Christ, or here he is, do not believe him. Why is it saying this, ladies and gentlemen? Because it's only those. Only those of the first resurrection. That's why they're numbered. You're told that at the end of Revelation. If you would just read the whole thing, you'd see the whole thing. These ones that are numbered… They get their heads chopped off because the Antichrist and the false prophet, that's what he just said. The one that's going to do this is, of course, the Assyrian false prophet and his image. That's why it's saying that to you. See, it, it, it makes sense. It's supposed to make sense. I'm sorry. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there, believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That's why this warning must be given. Okay? He goes on to say, um, he goes on to say, so if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do, do not go out. Behold, he is in the inner rooms do not believe him for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west so will the coming of the son of man be wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather you see he just told you that this secular of time the 1260 days is going to be terminated by the second coming of Christ <laughs> what happens on that day Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, yada, 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 yada. So 
ladies and gentlemen, these, these things are real. They're real, and it really does make sense. And and you have to start looking back through the folds of time and looking for God's fingerprint because what God's fingerprint looks like is when you look down the barrel of a gun that has rifling in it. And that rifling is the divine ratio. Time really is isochronal. That's what God said. So I know that Brian gave you a fantastic amount of information. Just download it and re-listen to it and go through the history books yourself. And it will blow your mind literally if you know what to look for. God is screaming at the top of his lungs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you understand what I said. When the days are shortened, the woman will be relocated. You're going to be, okay, exactly like the children of Israel were in Goshen. We're going to be gathered together to a place. The Exodus angel will guard watch over us. Please read the book of Revelation. You see he's, he's a great big angel. He's got like pillars for legs. That's the Exodus angel. That's the Exodus angel. So, yes, uh, there's going to be massive chaos in Egypt, which God clearly defines in the book of Revelation itself to be the entire planet. So, no, you're, I'm not saying that you're going to go through this great tribulation. No, you're not. He plainly tells you that he's going to gather you together at the tabernacle of David, he calls this, I call it, Operation Eagle's Wings. It's in the Old Testament. Please look it up. It's during this time that you will get your hind's feet. He's very plain on all the information that he gives. So it's very important that you look back down through time and see where God has been because that's where he was. He told you that in Ecclesiastes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why Ecclesiastes is written. That's why Ecclesiastes contained the 666th chapter in the Bible. You're supposed to know that. You, you really are. So I know we've given you a fantastic amount of information. Um, your, your closing thoughts, I think we're really pushing time now, but my clock ran out, so I'm not sure how much of the 15 minutes we have left. So uh, your arguments… Uh, back and forth, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter to me. We can debate this issue if you'd like to, but uh, your thoughts on this timeline and how the church is – well, churchianity is comatose. It's, it's, it's comatose, Brian. But anyway, uh, your thoughts. Well… That's, I guess, to a degree, you know, folks, it's just, it's snapping out of all of this stuff that's just come on down through the years. And I mean, look, go back in time. I'm not even joking. Go back in time. Look at Calvinism. Look at the forerunners that brought about the Dominionist movement going back to Darby. 
um, you're going to find out that he was a protege under other people that shaped him. And there was other people that went with him. Then they came with Schofield. Then we had dispensation. Then all of a sudden Israel became a nation again. They got confused and went, uh-oh, we better fix this. Now we need to make something else go into the equation. It has been in absolute disarray from this time. I've stated this time and time and time again. You go in and look at these books that are available just even free through Google Books on a continual basis. I'm to the point where I can't even believe what I keep finding from written by these academic scholars in the 1800s. Folks, there's stuff that I have spent over 11 years, or 11, well, I guess my whole life, but nonetheless, the last six years trying to unravel as far as how the Table of Nations spread out, Eden, all of this. Folks, they knew all of this then for Pete's sakes. We read through the first eight chapters of a book where this guy goes through. He lists everywhere where the Table of Nations spread forth from, from Eden, going back out basically after where the ark landed. He went through and he stated everything in broad daylight that I have spent this many years getting to the bottom of. He just blasts it all out in eight chapters. He comes in on top of it and he exposes to you as well that those tablets concerning what the Assyrian kings and their land, it was not what we thought it was. We thought it was only through the midst of the Tigris and Euphrates. No, folks, because when you go through and trace those geographical locations, oh, no, they went over into Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, up to the border of the steppes into that mountain region, the same place that Alexander the Great conquered into his empire, and this has all been swept under the rug. Okay, folks, I'm sorry, but when I come across a book in the first eight chapters that this guy lays out everything that you can prove beyond any shadow of a doubt with the archaeology, with the historical record, with the archaeogenetic records, and this guy just lays it out, you'll go through books in the 1800s. You'll find out that they they all knew where Eden was. They all knew what was in this place up in Pakistan, in the Swat Valley. Where's the nonsense come from, folks? We know the root of the confusion. We know who did this. And when you hear me get upset about crusaders, there's a reason why. Okay, folks? How many times does that warning um, between the book of Genesis where it's spoken to Esau, then it turns around and repeats it in Revelation? He who lives by the sword shall do what? He shall die by that sword. And folks, this stuff is all over prophecy. Everything we're seeing break loose, which was at the root of everything we just covered throughout history, going backwards in a multitude of these different parallels in these timelines. Nationalism was all over it. All over it. The rise of the white rider is what? It is nationalism. What have we seen come to the forefront since we went past that marker of that last blood moon in the blood moon jubilee? And folks, you might want to look at it because you know what? 1917, moving to the next one and forward, um, folks, from 1917... Uh, you have a couple of jubilees stacked back to back to back. The Lord went out of his way to show you everything that's going on here. And I mean, look, when I listen to a documentary and they say what they said, when they state this was the fulfillment 
of the prophecies from the book of Daniel going forward to Haggai of 1,335 years. And I look at that and I hear that. I'm going, what? Wait a minute. I need to understand what's going on here. This isn't making sense. I'm going back 1,335 years. I, I don't see it. It doesn't work unless you understand the reality of the timeline that Matthew just explained explicitly to you. We've been trying to explain this for years. If you do not do these calculations properly, it all ends up in disarray. And I mean, bless these people's hearts that have been trying to understand this timeline and have been trying to construct this and grasp it. I give them high, I basically have respect that they have done this, that at least they are trying. But unfortunately, there's been so much nonsense that has come down through the ages, so much indoctrination that has gone on that it just leaves you in a state of confusion. You cannot sit down and read the Bible and have all this chattering in your ears that's come through all this stuff. You have to be able to sit down and read it for what it says. For what it says. Blocking out everything. Because if you don't do that, you can't see what's right in front of your eyes. And you're never going to understand it. Uh, uh, Folks, read it in English. Read it over and over and over again in English. Or whatever it is your native language is, read it in that. Understand what's there. Then go to the next step, if you can. Go into the original languages. Go into the Adidoragia, into the Septuagint text. Go into the modern Hebrew Bible from the leech. Study it from there even more. It will all begin to illuminate itself. But folks, look. It's quite simple. When you look at this timeline and it brings you all the places where it does, for instance, with the year's timeline, but then on top of it, when you turn around and look at the day's timeline, and lo and behold, you have at that 280-day marker, which represents a birth sign. When you have that staring in your face, folks, you should have realized it immediately, as I did last night, and I marveled at it because of what the Lord did. I mean, let's let's look Amen, at this bro. here. Let's 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 cap this off, buddy. I agree, ladies and gentlemen. I just I just want to say this real quick. Uh, today, uh, this was released. Um, I think the original article uh, was from the Telegraph. It came out the twenty first, but uh, the infamous vulture stone has proved Brian yet again because it proves uh, that there was, in fact, uh, a comet-slash-meteor shower that kicked us off our axis. So you might want to uh, uh, do some research on there. This is live and late-breaking. But it's straight off of the uh, vulture stone that was found at Gallipi Tepe that Brian has told you about. It's right there. It's all over the mainstream news. I suggest you take a look at it. But, oh, 30 seconds. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, God bless. Godspeed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.